Well, we continue our series on rejection proof. It's based upon the book and blog video experience that Jai Jang, who spoke at the Global Leadership Summit this past summer, and decided to go on a 100-day rejection experiment, which he came up with some crazy things to ask people to do just to try to get them to reject him so he could desensitize himself. But the problem was, in that journey, he discovered some new things that sometimes humanity is a little more open than he expected. See, Jai came to America at age 16, immigrating from China with the hope and desire of becoming the next Bill Gates. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. And he realized at age 30 that he wasn't living his dream. He had a good job. He was paying well. Life was good. His wife had a baby on the way. But he wasn't living his dream, and he kept complaining about it. So his wife said, put up or shut up. So they decided together he would quit his job, spend six months trying to get a new venture started. And he started with the idea of, of a... Uh, software and app company. He had this idea he thought would take hold, even had a venture capitalist on the string, and then at the last minute, it fell through. The whole thing, he was going to have to start all over again, and he was rejected and depressed about it, and he was shocked at how much he had reacted to it. Brought up some old feelings. So he decided to study it. He Googled and researched and, and began to realize that uh, there was something to this. So he went on this 100-day experiment, and as we talked about last week, on just the third day, he experienced something that set everything on fire. He went into a Krispy Kreme donut shop and asked to have a donut made in the shape of the Olympic rings. And to his surprise, the shift manager who took his order put it together, gave it to him. And when he posted that video, it went viral. Had millions of hits immediately. And in that process, he found a whole mission for himself and became a rejection expert. Well, Jai's video went viral because rejection is a universal experience. We all experience in some way or another. Some of us react more strongly than others, but we all experience it. Jai even discovered in the process that rejection is a biological experience. You ever had somebody say to you, oh, don't take it personally? Does that ever work? <laughs> no, it doesn't, does it? We do take it personally. And the reason is that there is a biological response that takes place. They've done studies where they experiment people with brain scanners on, and they have them go through a rejection experience, and they discovered that our brain puts out the same kind of natural chemicals as when we experience physical pain. It's not just in our head. Rejection is real. Our fear of rejection is not just in our heads. Scientists tell us that this biological response is actually an evolutionary mechanism that helped us for survival in our prehistoric days. It's not so helpful where those physical dangers are no longer present. The point is, when we experience rejection, it takes a lot of work to get past that, to overcome our fear of rejection. It's not as simple as just saying, don't take it personally. So let me pick up on where we left off last Sunday. We shared that rejection says more about the person rejecting than the person being rejected. 
Jai Zhang realized that before his 100-day experiment, he experienced someone's rejection as the truth about himself. And then he began to realize that if he repeated some of his efforts, just do the same experiment with someone else, eventually he could get a yes. He came to understand that the universe is made up of people from diverse and polar opposite personalities and incentives and backgrounds. And their reaction to a certain request reveals much more about them than about the request itself. Rejection is a human interaction between two parties involved in every decision. And when we forget this and we let that person become just a a nameless machine, then rejection gets misunderstood. Instead of it being an opinion, which it really is, it becomes an indictment. And then every acceptance becomes a validation. And if you do that for very long, pretty soon, not only are you going to find yourself questioning yourself, but you're going to eventually change your mind over and over and even go to the point that you're going to lose your mind. And throughout history, great ideas that ultimately propelled humanity forward were initially met with vocal and sometimes violent rejection. Think about some of the greats in our history. Socrates, Galileo, look what the church did to Galileo. Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King. And consider how violently Jesus was rejected by his own people. You probably heard some of the facts of people who have submitted manuscripts that become famous books and have those publishers rejected. Just just take a look at these numbers. Lord of the Flies by William Golding was rejected 20 times before it was accepted. The Diary of Anne Frank by Anne Frank was rejected 15 times. Carrie by Stephen King wrote a few books, right? 30 times that book was rejected. Or how many of you saw The Help when a movie was made of by Catherine Strachan? Rejected 60 times. And Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the, the first book by J.K. Rowling, was rejected 12 times before it was accepted. And listen to some of the criticisms that came from the publishers when they rejected. Stephen King was told by one publisher, we are not interested in science fiction with deals with negative utopias. They do not sell. J.K. Rowling was told, it's far too long for children, referring to the first book in the Harry Potter series. And even more to that story, J.K. Rowling had submitted this book to 12 different publishers in Great Britain, all rejected. But one publisher happened to just hand the manuscript to their grandchild, I guess giving them something to do, and that grandchild ended up reading that and wouldn't put it down until they were finished with it. And then they thought, maybe that criticism is not so valid. Within a decade, 100 million copies of that book were sold, and we know how the series has gone. Jai Jang suggests that becoming a master of a craft requires not just great skills, but also the ability to weather rejections. Rejection is human. Rejection is opinion, and rejection has a number. So if your idea has merit, if it has substance, it's approached strategically, and you are persistent, you will eventually get the yes that you need. 
And Jai began to notice something else about his rejection experiences. He realized he had more power than he realized. When it came to rejections, ultimately, you can't control the other person, but there are things that you can learn and the ways that you approach a person and how you offer your expectation makes all the difference in the world. He realized that because of the circumstances of someone's life, they may say no, but if you say it a different way, you might get a yes. So let me share a video just to give you a little sample of some of these experiments that he did. This was one of his early ones, and his reason for choosing this particular experiment was that he was one of those kids kicking a soccer ball, and sometimes we kick it into the neighbor's yard. Have you ever done something like that? And you remember how horrible you feel, especially if you, got, if you kick it over the fence, you got to go knock on their door to get permission to get the ball back. Well, he decided he wanted to overcome that fear once and for all. So this is what he did. Well, this one's a little bit risky. I'm going to ask someone to open up their backyard and for me to play soccer in it. And uh, we'll see what happens. Hi there. Hi. Hey, um, this is for a special project. Do you think it's possible for you to take a picture of me playing soccer in your backyard? Playing soccer in my backyard? Yeah, it's for a special project. I guess so. Are you sure? Wow, okay. <laughs> Didn't expect to say yes. Okay, can you just take a picture for me? I'll, I'll give you my phone and I'll just take a picture and you. Okay. That sound good? All right, wow. Uh, why do you say yes? Why did I say yes? Yeah. Because it was really so off the wall, how could I say no? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Scott. Really appreciate it. All right. You too. All right. Have a good day. You too. Wow. Not only I didn't get shot at, uh, yelled at, or get the door slammed on me, Scott was kind enough to let me in and, and uh, take a picture of me playing soccer. It was just me holding, you know, using my foot to hold the ball more than playing, but I'm very happy that I got uh, another failure. All right, until next day. Well, Jai learned a few things in these experiments. One is that confidence is important. You give that sense of you know what you're doing, you put the other person at ease. You give an aura that you know what you're doing, you have a much higher chance. You notice he did something else. He asked him why. And Jai began after this experiment of asking why more often because he'd often find, even though they might say no, if they asked why, he learned something that he can take to his next experiment. And of course, you heard his answer. It was so off the wall. How could I say no? Here's just a few insights that Jai Jiang shared 
that he learned from all of his experiments. First of all, ask why before you end the conversation. That feedback is critical, assisting you in the next interaction. You'll discover learnings that might help you be successful in the future. Just one example, one of the things he asked was, went to knock on somebody's door and ask if he could plant a rose bush in his front yard. Well, one guy said, well, no. And when he asked why, he found out that the man wasn't opposed to flowers. He says, well, I just got a dog, and if he planted it, he'll just dig it up and tear it. It'd be a waste of your time and money. He said, but matter of fact, across the road, that woman really loves flowers. She, she might be interested. So he went across the road, and he ended up planting a rose bush in her yard. So ask why before you say goodbye. Secondly, retreat, don't run. Sometimes when you ask something, you may get a no, but if you discover that if you just back off the request and ask for something simpler, something a little easier, they may end up wanting support and be helpful to your project. I've found this in the church many times, that often people are interested in the ministry you want to do. It's just they don't have the full time to commit then, but they'd be willing to do something if you make it possible for them. Thirdly, collaborate, collaborate, don't contend. Never argue with the rejector. Instead, try to figure out a way to get them on your side. Ask appropriate questions about the problem at hand. Sometimes you can learn to turn an opponent into a collaborator. And finally, switch up, don't give up. And this insight just realizes that sometimes what you have to offer is fine, it's just that what is being shared is not in the appropriate context. It's not what that person needs at this point in their life. If you take it to someplace else, to someone else, you may get a yes instead of a no. Now, one of the reasons I found this book by Jai Jiang so fascinating and his speak so riveting that he shared at the Global Leadership Summit is that rejection is a very common theme in the scriptures, is it not? Last week we talked about Moses. We could talk about the Old Testament prophets who had that impossible task of sharing the judgment of God to a society that had gotten so far away from God they wouldn't listen. And society had become so unjust and the poor so neglected and the worship of many gods instead of the one God that most of them did their job and failed. The judgment still came. We could talk about Jesus who was challenged not just by the Pharisees, but ultimately experienced the ultimate rejection as he gave his life on the cross. Or read the book of Revelation, realize the whole book is about Christians who in that day, near the end of the first century, were being rejected and persecuted over and over because their choice to believe in just one God. And look at the Apostle Paul. You heard the passage today. And one thing you need to understand, he was rejected often by his fellow Christians because he didn't have one of the criteria they had in their minds of what a true apostle should have. He didn't walk this earth with Jesus like the original 12 disciples. His experience with the risen Lord and his Damascus Road experience was his credential, but not all considered that enough. And then listen to the things that Paul had to endure. In prison many times, beaten more times than he can count. Five times, you can recall, he got the Jewish judgment of 39 lashes, because that was the limit for one offense. Three times he was beaten by rods. He was stoned once, something you very rarely survive. Shipwrecked three times and one time spent a whole day and a half on the open seas. He traveled all over the Roman Empire, mostly by foot, <coughs> crossing dangerous rivers, 
facing robbers. He endured the risk of going in as a stranger into so many cities and towns, all with their own local customs. He journeyed the desert, and he sailed in fragile sailboats on the raging seas. And as he finished this epistle passage, he shared the burden that he carried of all those churches that he started, trying to hold them together, trying to keep them on the right path. One of the experiences I've had is going on the journey of Paul's second and third missionary journeys. I've been able to see Athens, Corinth, and one of the most amazing places I saw was the town of Ephesus. How many of you have had a chance to go to see Ephesus? It's an amazing place because they've been able to reconstruct most of that city. And so you really get a flavor for what it was like in the day of Paul. And one thing it did for me is totally changed my perception of the Apostle Paul. I don't know how you read his epistles in the Bible, but when I've read them, I always kind of had this picture in my mind that he was going from town to town, little villages, small places, uneducated people, share the good news. When I saw Ephesus, I realized it was a town of 250,000 people. And their intellect was incredible. They had engineering feats. They brought water from six miles away for the city. They had a sewage system that took everything out to the sea. It was a town of philosophers, places you did battle with intellectually. And Paul did well in places like Ephesus. We see another example when he went to Athens and he was able to adapt his message to the surroundings that he was in, that he talked about that God, that statue to the unknown God. Paul was rejected over and over, but he learned from his rejections. He was able to adapt and grow, and because of it, next to Jesus Christ, he's the most influential person in all of our Christian history. Paul learned from his rejections. And I would suggest that as Christians today, more than ever, we need to learn from Paul. We need to learn about how to become rejection-proof because more and more we experience this kind of rejection in a hostile world to faith in general, but especially to Christianity. I was watching TV the other day, and on came a commercial with Ron Reagan, the son of Ronald Reagan. And he was speaking for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And his statement was shocking to me. He says, I'm an unabashed atheist, and I'm not afraid of burning in hell. And he invited them to support the, religion, the Freedom From Religion Foundation so that we can make our country a place free from religion. Well, my first reaction was, wow. I mean, I kind of feel like we do some good things around here, don't you? And I know, I understand the sentiment that sometimes in the name of God, in the name of religion, some horrible things have happened historically. But I don't know if that outweighs all the good that has been done in the name of God. My second thought was, I don't think the founding fathers were here for freedom from religion, but freedom of religion. There's a big difference there. I had a second experience this week. I was able to have coffee with our new mayor, Chris Jensen. Had a good exchange, learning how we might be helpful to Noblesville and the community efforts there that he wants to 
engage and also he's offered his support for the things that we do on behalf of the community. But I had learned a few days before that meeting that one year ago, the mayor's breakfast, which has been a long-standing tradition in this town and has been used as a fundraiser for the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office, a great ministry that does a great work with inmates and those who work in the jail. And it had to be canceled two weeks before the event because of a threatened lawsuit. So I offered to Chris Jensen, if you want, I'll get this community together, I'll contact other churches, and we'll put that breakfast on. It may not be the mayor's breakfast, but it might be breakfast with Mayor Chris Jensen speaking, but we'll find a way to do this without getting sued. And it appears he's going to take me up on that offer. So if you want to help with that, just let me know. But we live in a world with that kind of hostility, where rejection is becoming more the norm. And I want to invite us not to react to that hostility with anger. Let's don't do battle in the same spirit. But let's do like Paul, who faced that rejection over and over and found in each of those rejections the providence of God. Somehow God used those to bring the good news, even to change someone's life in jail for Paul. I thought this morning as I got up, I'd like for us to have the spirit of Christ who experienced the ultimate rejection, who faced that rejection with such grace and strength that when he took his last breath, a Roman centurion looked up and said, surely this must be the Son of God. May God give us that kind of spirit. May he make us rejection-proof for whatever we face, whatever challenges we're trying to take on, both personally and corporately, in this world. Let's pray. Lord, may your spirit be with us. May we in this community bring your love so fully, so completely, that it will be irresistible. Help us the world that often throws its challenges at us to respond with love and sacrifice. The Apostle Paul, your son Jesus Christ, has shown us that way. May we live into it as fully as we can. Christ, we do pray. Amen.